0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I am the aforementioned Jeff Gluck. I am solo this week. Um, not really find a co-host to talk NASCAR with me here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I am hanging out with my wife until Daytona. Um, eventually, I'd like to be able to you know, do Skype stuff or Google Hangouts or whatever, where I can bring in co-hosts um, from afar and talk to them that way, but I haven't figured out yet how to record that um, on my new computer, so this will just have to be by myself. I'm sorry that you'll be stuck listening to my voice for such a long time. But anyway, we do have some questions um, that we'll get to a little bit later from people on my um, patrons' Facebook group. I asked them to give me some questions, and they did, so we'll get some of those. And we have some stuff we could talk about. Um, It hasn't been a super busy NASCAR news week, but since we last talked, I was out in Phoenix for the test there. It was an organizational test, so one driver from every team got to come. And basically, the, the big takeaway from the test for me was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. had the three fastest laps of the thousands of laps that were run over the course of a two-day test. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that you know he's going to win the championship or anything like that, but um, it certainly means that he's not rusty, and he was concerned about that coming into it. Yeah, I'm just a little nervous, you know, about how um if there'll be any kind of learning curve. Uh but I don't know, you know, I hope there ain't. Sometimes you see guys in sport, no matter the type of sport, uh that are that are away for a while, have to adjust to how much has changed since they got, you know, since they've taken time off, and then there's some guys that come back like they never missed a day. Um so I don't know. I just uh I hope there's no rust to shake off. I'm really anxious, you know, to, to kind of get out there and have some success, go out and run well and check that box that, I'm. you know, we're right where we need to be. You know, when you have guys like Kevin Harvick out there, uh, Joey Logano, who won last fall's race, Kyle Larson, who was very fast, and Dale Jr. has the fastest laps of all of them, I think that's a pretty good sign. I would have been concerned if we went out there and looked at the times and it was like, oh, geez, Dale Jr., wow, he's way down there. Um, so that didn't happen. That actually happened with um, Daniel Suarez the first day. But Suarez picked it up a lot by the second day, and he was you know, around fifth or sixth, I think, when it all ended. So that was good. Eric Jones looked fast as well. You, know, you can't really tell anything that much from the test except uh, – you know, what would be a total disaster, like I mentioned. So, at least junior fans don't have to worry about that. He seems like he's going to be okay. Another thing that came up this last week was Danica Patrick's sponsor, Nature's Bakery, uh, is now her former sponsor, apparently, because Nature's Bakery didn't pay the bills. Very interesting situation here, where you don't hear about this too often with the big teams, but essentially... Nature's Bakery wrote Stuart Haas Racing a letter in December. And they said, hey, um, we've noticed that Danica is making some social media posts. And uh, she's advertising other products, this protein powder. You know, she tweets about and Facebooks and does all the stuff. Instagrams all this pictures of food that she cooks. That's not Nature's Bakery, Fig Bars. So she's violated our agreement. And you are going to have to find another sponsor for 25 races a year and find somebody else to pay you $15.2 million a year because we, Nature's Bakery, are bailing on you. So Stuart Haas, this catches them totally by surprise. They've already gone way down the road for um, 2017, building the cars, uniforms, all this stuff. Had no idea. It's way too late to get another sponsor at that point. Um, especially for such a big portion of the season. So they're like, no, you're not going to be bailing on us because we have a contract for two more years. In fact, you've only done one year of our contract. And so they decide to sue Nature's Bakery for breach of contract. Very interesting lawsuit. Um, Lots of interesting details that I I went through and found. So right off the bat, what was really interesting is, so they, they signed this deal, I think in August, 2015, Nature's Bakery is coming on board and, and apparently Stuart Haas had been asking Nature's Bakery questions like, wait, 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 you're not that big of a company. Are you sure that you have the money to pay $15.2 million a year to sponsor Danica Patrick? And apparently Nature's Bakery said, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, they were, pro- they provided, um, repeated assurances, the lawsuit says, and, um, they say, no problem. You know, we, we've got the money. So Stuart Haas says, okay. Well, before last season even began, which was the first season of the sponsorship, Nature's Bakery comes to Stuart Haas and they say, hey, oh man, we're having some cash flow problems. Is there any way we can modify the dates that our payments are due? So like, it was supposed to be, you know, they'd have five million dollars due at one point, and then a few months later they'd have three point four million dollars due. Stuart Haas says, okay, you know, we'll, you know, we want to work with you, so. Why don't we do a, a 2.5 million dollars instead of five five million dollars? We'll do one million dollars later in the season. So they they spread it out more to try to work with them because Nature's Bakery said, "Hey, we're having some problems." So you know, all of a sudden they get this letter out of nowhere at the end of last year. And what was what was interesting is, Stuart Haas then goes through Danica Patrick's Instagram feed and her her social media feeds. All these. Uh, pictures that were of different food and protein powder and all this stuff which by the way SHR says well protein powder is not exactly a a competitor of fig bars right so they go through and they look at it and and nature's bakery (laughs) on social media had liked or hearted or whatever all the pictures that Danica was putting of the food so that, you know that's a very public thing you can see who likes the picture so they clearly knew about it and approved of it you know they were demonstrating their support for it essentially by liking the photos so Stuart Haas says that you know until it was necessary to create an excuse to end the sponsorship then they they didn't really come in and say that this was a problem so Stuart Haas is suing for 31 million dollars their nature's Bakery is already behind on $1.3 million, but it would have been like five or something if, if Stuart Haas hadn't been nice enough to change the agreement. So obviously it's a real problem for Danica Patrick at this point. Um, Stuart Haas says, you know, either way they're going to field the car this year. Fortunately, they have an owner who has extremely deep pockets, Gene Haas. But Gene Haas already might be paying some of his own pocket for Clint Boyer's car, which doesn't have full sponsorship on the number 14 taken over for Tony Stewart. Now he's going to be possibly spending money. We don't know how much, if, if they're going to be able to get other sponsorship for Danica Patrick's car. So it's a big problem. And, you know, it's it's also interesting, I think, that this comes out because everybody can see the finances in this situation. We, we often hear, all well, you know, to cost to sponsor a car for the whole year costs $25 million dollars or something, right? And now we can see that for twenty five races it's fifteen point two million dollars for a big team like Stewart House Racing. So that's not just some number of people are throwing out. That's really concrete numbers. And that's really expensive. You know, to me it seems like until NASCAR and the teams figure out a way to take a lot more cost out of the sport, it's gonna be harder and harder to find sponsorship. Because how can you go to a company in this day and age and say, hey, you know, I know that NASCAR TV ratings have been declining, and you know attendances and what what it was. But hey, twenty five million bucks for the season, you know what a deal! Come come, put your name on our car and, and things like that. That's that's a hard sell. You know if if they could do half the cost, maybe you'd have some of these big sponsors stick around instead of leave. Um, you know, a situation like Home Depot or something like that. You know, would they really be leaving the sport? dollar general, things like that, if if they were like, well, it's only, you know, $7 million a year, $10 million a year. I mean, you look at what Monster Energy just paid, according to the Sports Business Journal, at $20 million to sponsor the entire series for a year on a two-year deal. So if you're paying more than that to sponsor a car as a company, aren't you looking at that maybe and saying, "Mm, yeah, I don't know if this is good for us. So the teams have to be able to take money out. Obviously, there's no salary cap or anything, and there's no, you know, spending limit where you would say, okay, you know, you're going to get all the teams together, and you have Hendrick, Stuart Haas, Gibbs, and say, all right, guys, we're only going to spend 15 million max now. Well, somebody's going to spend more because they want to win, and and money is speed in NASCAR in a lot of ways, whether it's engineering or pit crew, you know, development of the cars through simulation. All that stuff, it costs money, and if you don't have it, you fall behind. So there's even though they know it's too expensive in a lot of ways, there's still this spending race, and it's sort of out of control at this point, point. and I think it's really hurting the support. It's definitely hurting sponsorship. So that's an interesting thing. Another thing that we could talk about is Daytona Day. Just as we are recording this, uh, I got into a little bit of a Twitter argument with DW, Daryl Waltrip, who, who disagreed with the column I wrote, um, which is on jeffgluck.com. Basically, I was watching the Super Bowl, and I saw that you know in the fourth quarter they had this Daytona Day ad. I knew that they were bringing Daytona Day back. I didn't know quite in what form. Well, it's the same one, it's the same jingle at least, that they had last year where it you know, was like, Happy Daytona Day! It's Daytona Day. All that stuff, right? And, you know, it's annoying, and I'm sorry that I got that in your head, but I had to demonstrate so you knew what I was talking about. This year, the the big difference is that Daytona Day shows the drivers a little bit more, shows the cars a little bit more. If you remember last year's Daytona Day commercial it was just a bunch of young people running around, jumping in the pool, running with their shirts off down the street, painted bodies, you know, it's like, yeah, it's Daytona Day! And you're like, well, what's Daytona Day? That that makes no sense. If you if you don't know that the Daytona 500 is coming up and you're not a NASCAR fan, there's nothing in there that says, "Hi, tune into this race." So I wrote a column, and I basically said, "Look, you know, I, I don't really buy this whole marketing strategy. I don't see how this helps. If you either, there was a one minute ad during the Super Bowl in front of millions and millions, tens of millions of people." Why not capitalize on that opportunity to talk about the Daytona 500 hashtag Daytona 500 instead of hashtag Daytona Day, which you had this commercial James Vanderbeek, the actor, was in it, and they pause it for a They go Daytona Day, the movie. I'm sure there are people out there, and I've already gotten some tweets where people said, Yeah, actually, you know, my wife or whatever was confused. They thought, Oh, look, they're making a Daytona movie now. So. I just don't – I understand completely what Darrell Waltrip's saying about um, the concept of you need to have a party day around it. You know, tell your friends, have a barbecue, get everybody together. You know, have a Daytona Day, like a Super Bowl day. But if you're only advertising Daytona Day as part of that concept, aren't you losing uh, – who, who even knows what that is? I, I legitimately have friends where they don't know that the Indy 500 is not NASCAR. They don't know that there is an Car series versus NASCAR. They don't know the difference between the cars. So obviously I assume this marketing campaign is trying to appeal to those type of people, the casual fans, my high school buddies, college buddies. who It's the same people that watch the Kentucky Derby as their only horse race of the year. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tune in for that, sure. You know, nothing else is going on. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch the Daytona 500. I'll check that out. But if you don't say Daytona 500, February 26th, again and again and again in this ad and and talk about what it is. I'm sure a lot of people just are puzzled and they're like, Daytona Day, is is that the same thing as Daytona 500? I I don't know. I'm not sure. So I just felt it was a missed opportunity. Uh, Some people agree with me, some people disagree, Daryl Waltrip being one of the people that, that disagrees. But I just think this is where a lot of times, and I think this sort of happened with the, the NASCAR ad um, campaign that we've seen the last couple years. And, and, you know, I'm throwing shade on this here. And this this ad campaign actually won awards. But, you know, the campaign where they're chasing each other around and it shows a bunch of people that don't really look like NASCAR fans. They're chasing each other and they're saying, ready, set, race, and all that stuff. And to me, you know, these these big brands that go to a marketing agency In New York City and they say hey you know you guys are the best you guys know how to make commercials to appeal to people can you help us come up with a campaign that's gonna be really cool and flashy and generate a lot of positive buzz and and get our message across and these people sit in boardrooms not the people that are NASCAR but the people that have been hired by Fox Sports or um, whoever who whatever advertiser it it is trying to appeal NASCAR fans and they and they don't know NASCAR so they say okay What's a what's a really good concept here? Let's have people chasing each other. Yeah, like a race. Right, because NASCAR is racing. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Let's have being, people chasing each other down the hallway. Or like, okay, you know, for Daytona Day. Well, let's make it like Super Bowl Day, and we'll get the young people, the college-age people, to tune in, tell their friends, you know, Daytona Day, yeah, and we'll have the Simpsons involved, and, you know, it'll look really cool. Like that's so awesome, but you lose the focus of why people really watch, and and that is the actual race. I get that, you know, say for the Indy 500 or something, you have an electronic music concert, and same thing as a horse race, you have a lot of people coming in to the infield to party, to get drunk with their friends, just to be there. They don't care about the race. You know, in college, the the Preakness Stakes used to be kind of near me. I went to University of Delaware, and all my friends would go down there. They weren't interested in triple crown event of horse racing. They were just going to go in the infield and get completely plastered and they never cared about watching the race. So I understand there's an element of that, but as far as actually tuning in on TV, you'd think that you were going to be interested enough to at least watch it on TV, not just have it in the background of some party. The Super Bowl, when you go to watch, I, I feel like the Super Bowl parties that I go to, there might be some people talking, but for the most part, you're watching the game. You're, you are eating food, and you're drinking, but you're watching the game. So you want people to watch NASCAR. You don't want it to be some one-off thing. You want people to start the season, get pumped up about NASCAR. Hey, NASCAR started. No football right now. There's no playoffs of any other sport right now. Baseball hasn't started yet. Let's get let's let's give us a chance. Let's see. Let's watch Atlanta the next week. Let's watch the, the West Coast Swing. I'm not saying you're going to get everybody to do that, but you could get some people involved in it. I just don't think that. Uh, that's the way to do it. That's just my take. I'm, you know, I get kind of fired up about silly stuff like this sometimes. Maybe I'm just cranky because the Patriots won and I feel, feel like they're an evil team and I despise most of their players and all that stuff. I, I admit it, you know. So maybe that, maybe I'm just in a bad mood because of that. But uh, I just didn't feel like Daytona Day is a home run thing. And also, in, from now until February 26th, which, by the way, is the day of the Daytona 500. You may have missed that from the commercial. I don't know. I feel like we're going to get that hammered over our head over and over and over, like like the Narwhals commercial. We're going to hear Daytona Day over and over again, and it's just like, ugh, it's going to bother me every time. But that's okay. That's okay. There's other things to get mad about. Um, let's talk about some of the questions that are in the Facebook group. If you don't know, just real quick, my new venture... Is being the podcast and the website is being supported by uh, Patreon. People can um, become patrons through there, and if they do five dollars a month, there's this access to this private Facebook group, which I've really been enjoying because I love Twitter, but Twitter can be sort of trollish at times and can get kind of negative and nasty. And I feel it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully, there's not going to have any any trolls on this Facebook group. Um, I would rather just give somebody five bucks back per month than have people that are antagonizing people in this Facebook group, which they're coming to talk about racing and it's a little community. Anyway, so I asked these people for some questions to help me out since I have no co-host on the untitled Jeff Buck podcast. So just going to look through some of the questions here. Let's start with Matt Bradley. Matt Bradley asks, who do you feel has the best handle on this year's rules package? Well, Toward the end of last year, I would have said Joe Gibbs Racing. You know, they had such a dominant season. It seems like it was just a JGR year, but they kind of fell off in the chase. I'm not going to pick Ford, any Ford teams yet. I, I think Petsky's good. I'm, I haven't had enough answers to see if Stuart Haas Racing is going to just pick up right where they left off. So in my mind, that kind of leaves Hendrick Motorsports. They won the championship. They had a very good chase. Pretty much started right with Chicago. They just were red hot. Chase Elliott had a good year last year in general. Jimmy Johnson should pick up where he left off. We talked about Dale Jr. being good, and I think Casey Kane's in for a rebound year, so I feel like they should be up to speed on the new rules and we will probably have a fast start to the season. Now here's a question from Matt Gross, and he says, having been to most if not all the tracks on the circuit, which tracks do you think should be on every fan's bucket list and why? So Uh, Matt, I actually have been to all the tracks, and to me, the short tracks are the best as far as um, vantage point, seating. Here's an example. So most of the tracks, you know, the press box is like right on the start finish line. You sit up there, you see the cars go around and around. Well, um, at Bristol, Richmond, and Martinsville, the press box is down between turn one and two in each of those. So you're looking a long way at the track and that's just a great view and you could see the whole thing. I just think short tracks in general are are tough to beat. So, if you haven't been to all three of those, definitely go at some point. If I had to put them in order, I would say Martinsville number 1, Bristol number 2, and Richmond number 3. Then I would put the road courses. I think they're such a fun experience. I love Sonoma, I love Watkins Glen. The problem is, you know, you can't see everything there. So, but you do have the freedom to sort of walk around, especially if you're in the infield at Watkins Glen, you can kind of move around. If you're on the outside at Sonoma, you can go up and down the hills to the different grandstands a little bit, just sort of walk, um, see different angles of the race during the race. As long as you have a scanner, maybe a fan vision, you're fine. Then I would put the Super Speedways, if you hadn't been there, just, you know, obviously check out Daytona. It's, It's amazing. The racing's not always good there, is the thing. They could be a single file race to the end or something, but... And then, you know, the other tracks, uh, maybe Phoenix, maybe New Hampshire, you know, then, then the intermediates. So obviously, you know what, I, I take that back a little bit. I put Fontana above most of the other intermediate tracks. Fontana's pretty awesome. So Tom Albrecht is asking me for my 2017 regular season champion prediction. Very interesting to say regular season because this year I think that it's going to be one and the same the regular season champion is going to win the championship because the way the playoff points carry over, you'd have to think the regular season champion is someone that has a big lead over a lot of other cars. And so there'll be a higher likelihood than in the past that 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 person will make it to Homestead. Um, And then I always just try to pick the fastest car at Homestead instead of trying to just do a wild guess. It doesn't always work out that way, but sometimes it does. So I keep picking... Joey Logano, year after year, and I'm going to pick him until he wins the title. I feel like, even though I just said the Penske cars may not have the best handle on it right off the bat, I still think they'll be fast. I think Logano is going to win many, many championships. He's so young still, and he has so much experience. He's not afraid of anybody, and uh, I just feel like at some point he's going to win, so I'm just going to stick with him until he finally wins. I tried doing that for Jimmy Johnson back in the day, and then I bailed on Jimmy right before he won his first title. So I'm trying to learn a lesson from that. Rika Porter is asking about uh, rookie class analysis. How does Suarez in an established top-tier team compare to Jones with a new team and Ty Dillon with a lesser team but with RCR support? Yeah, first of all, I think the Ty Dillon car is basically RCR for the most part. And I also think that Eric Jones is basically a Joe Gibbs racing car, even though it's with a, you know, quote, new team, that they're starting up at Furniture Row Racing, you know, those Furniture Row cars are pretty much Joe Gibbs. So I'm going to say that Suarez and Jones are in somewhat equal stuff. I don't know that Suarez is really ready. I would have liked to see him see another uh, spend another year in Xfinity, even though he won the title. Just his overall lack of experience on big tracks. I just feel like Eric Jones was more ready and to move up. I, I don't feel super uncomfortable with him being a rookie Ty Dillon you know Ty Dillon had sort of a disappointing Xfinity season last year really didn't show enough I think to justify this move that they're making but you know sometimes maybe somebody can get into cup and be a little bit more successful Um, you don't know the circumstances from that Xfinity team so we'll see you know it'll be interesting to see if Ty Dillon can outperform what Mears was doing in that Geico car overall I, I think that Eric Jones will be rookie of the year Suarez second and Ty Dillon third I think Eric, Eric Jones will win a race I don't necessarily see Suarez or Ty Dillon doing that I see Eric Jones as a chase guy this year Mark Wiley has a, a question that's one of those unintended consequences type question which I think we're going to see a lot of this year under the new rules because just because NASCAR when they came up with this new system they, they had everybody in a room they tried to throw everything at it but People didn't think of everything, and there's certainly going to be, just like the All-Star Race last year, well, geez, how come we didn't think of that? Oh, no, what happened? This is a total cluster. Ah. So here's his question. Mark, Mark Wiley asks, in the Xfinity and Truck Series, what do you think NASCAR's reaction will be to an interloper letting a full-time teammate buy to win a segment to earn the playoff point? For instance, JGR with Matt Tift or SHR with Cole Custer? It's an interesting question. In some ways, I don't see it happening because I think Kyle Busch, for instance, is so cutthroat that he's not going to let people buy or give up any positions. At the same time, I feel like he did let uh, Suarez at times lead a lap last year, if I recall. So it's possible. I think that NASCAR's reaction will be, well, that happened in the past. We didn't totally eliminate it. That happened in, in Cup and other situations. And so we're okay with it, even though that person is not even in the running, obviously a playoff point will be much more valuable than leading a lap-type point. I I think they'll let it go is the answer because when this stuff happens, they're going to say, well, we didn't think of that. Until they pass some sort of a rule, they're not going to go crazy over it. Here's a question from David Tucker. He says, where do you see the sport in the next five years? With the sudden departures of Greg Biffle and Carl Edwards, how do you think it will affect ratings and track attendance? You know, I think in the next five years, if you look at it, um, and certainly the next seven years or so, you'll have uh, Matt Kenseth will be gone, Kevin Harvick will be gone, Jimmy Johnson will be gone, Dale Earnhardt Jr. will be gone. All these guys are in their forties, so unless they're going to race till Mark Martin age, I, I don't see them sticking around. So it's going to be a very different situation because two things, one of two things, is going to happen: either truly talented. Young drivers are going to move into the ranks and they're going to be able to challenge the existing drivers like Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, uh, Brad Keselowski, guys like that, for wins. Or the money guys coming up the ranks who either know somebody or have family money to get them in situations. Those are the guys who are going to get the opportunities and they're going to be the guys getting the cup rides, which is going to dramatically change the makeup of the Cup Series because, you know, some of those guys might be perfectly talented, but many of them are getting their opportunities through other sources, and that could be a problem because that, that just means that the existing drivers who have been around for years, like a Logano, Kyle Busch, Keselowski, are going to absolutely own the Cup Series, own the wins, own the championships for years until they go out. You know, and then, and then maybe a Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott type guy moves into the spotlight a little bit more. You know, I need to see more from Ryan Blaney. I need to see more from Kyle Larson to say that they're going to be just as good as as Logano. Chase Elliott's a little bit more convincing, but, you know, obviously he needs to start closing out races. He obviously, he had a great season last year, so you can't take anything away from him, but if he goes this year and doesn't win a race, you know, it's sort of like, okay, now what's going on here? You know, at what point is he going to start winning? So, it'll be very interesting. I think that A lot of fans, once Dale Jr. goes out, will say, you know what, I was just sort of riding riding out with NASCAR until Junior left, and I don't see anybody else worth rooting for at the moment, so I'm going to bail. I think that happened with Gordon. I think it's happening with Stewart, and that's a huge concern for NASCAR because can you get those junior fans energized enough to stay around the sport? I think there's a lot of people that are NASCAR fans in general, and they want to keep watching. They want to have a reason to keep watching and going to races, so they'll stick around and try to find another driver or just enjoy it in general as a sport, but when when you're that passionate about a driver and you lose those big names, you know, Jimmy Johnson too, Matt Kenseth, um, Harvick, there's a ton of Harvick fans, I mean, these are a generation of stars that have stuck around, and you can't just be a fan of somebody for 15 years or whatever and they go away and expect to replace them that easily. I think Gordon fans are finding that out. So, yeah, I think it's a real concern. Personally, um, I have another 30 years where I'm hoping to make a living in the sport. So, it's a concern for people like me for sure. But I don't know what's going to happen. Tara McCook, uh, along these same sort of lines of doom and gloom a little bit, not to be depressing here, but she says, With all the sponsorship struggles this year, do you ever foresee large-scale contraction in NASCAR? such as dropping a series, significantly shrunken fields, cutting the schedule back. For me, NASCAR could be in a little bit of trouble, if if it is a sinking ship in some ways. But you still look at the IndyCar series, and the fact that that exists should show that NASCAR is not just going to go away, or become extinct, or NASCAR is gone and NASCAR is dead, or whatever, right? IndyCar still thrives, largely based around the Indy 500, and seems to have a lot of problems, but it's still in existence, still has a, a, a niche fan base. So I wouldn't be that worried that NASCAR is suddenly going to go away or have to completely bail on a lot of stuff. As long as these track companies continue to own the tracks, it'll benefit NASCAR to have races there. As long as TV networks want to have live sports on on TV as, as much as possible, NASCAR should be able to be okay. The TV contract currently goes many more years, and so that money is guaranteed, and NASCAR, as you know, or the tracks make more money off the TV rights fees than they do from the actual attendance at the tracks these days. So it could turn into more of a TV sport, but I think the bigger thing is to have the cost cut out of it. It could become a cheaper sport. Look at look at late model racing. I mean, that's doing okay. And you could take cost out of it and it could be thriving again. You've got a big sponsorship again, like I talked about earlier, at $10 million a year or whatever instead of $25 million a year. That could be what happens, but I don't think that we're suddenly going to see a terrible situation where there's half full fields and a dramatically cut back schedule. John Corr has a question about um, the possible road course race at Charlotte. You know, People have talked about, could that be uh, the all-star race? Could that be the fall chase race? I don't know whether they're going to land on that or if they even end up doing one, but I think that that would be a very good idea. Personally, I think road course races are the best some of the best races that NASCAR has to offer right now they're very close and competitive and if you could do something like the all-star race you could maybe even have like a combo race where you could have the oval for part of it the road course for part of it I think that'd be very interesting and I think people would watch it it seems like the all-star race would be the perfect time to try that right because what are what are you going to do for the all-star race now the big thing was for a while, well, the all-star race has double file restarts, and that's the only time all year where we see this double file restarts. Well, now every race has that. So, oh, the all-star race is the only race that has segments. They divide it up, and they have these breaks and all that stuff. Well, now every race has segments, right? So you've got to continue to innovate with the all-star race, and what are you going to do? You've got to make it different. You've got to make it stand out. Otherwise, I don't really see the point of why it exists in the first place. So my personal contention would be do something way outside the box and see if it works. And finally, I'll answer a question from Pat Long here who asks, I'm curious about you. How did you get into covering racing? Were you a race fan before that? Pat's saying here that as a listener of tons of podcasts, the ones I enjoy the most are when the host pulls back the curtain and shares personal things. So yes, I'd love to share that story with you. So I graduated college and... My first job was at the Rocky Mount Telegram in North Carolina, eastern North Carolina. Um, It's about 50 miles east of Raleigh. Very small paper at the time. It was a 12,000 circulation paper. My boss was very encouraging to go try to cover other sports. And uh, one day he said, hey, listen, I'm going to send you to cover this Rockingham race down in another part of North Carolina. And I said, well, you know, I'm not really into NASCAR. I've never followed NASCAR I really don't feel like I want to uh, to go do that. I don't, I don't really know anything about it. I'm just not into it. And my boss said, listen, you never know when you're going to need to know how to cover another kind of sport, whether it's you know lacrosse or field hockey or racing, whatever. You, you don't know whether you're going to end up needing to have a job that covers that. So why don't you go check it out? So I watched the Daytona 500. This is 2004, the week before Dale Jr. won. I went down to Rockingham, which turned out to be the last Rockingham race ever, and it was a phenomenal race. It was a phenomenal experience. I remember being in the driver's meeting, and I'm like, wow, all the drivers are in here, and like we have access to this. We can see this, and you know, Jeff Gordon's talking to Dale Jr., and they're all like mingling, and I hardly knew any of the drivers or anything, but I was like, this is pretty cool. I remember I saw Richard Petty at the race, and I'm like, Richard Petty still goes to races? Wow, I know who that is. And the race was spectacular. Carl Long flipped down the backstretch. And I was like, oh my gosh. I remember I was standing on top of the media center or somewhere and I saw it happen. I was like, oh, this is crazy. And then he got out of the car and talked about how he could see people in the stands eating chicken wings as he was flipping. I thought that was so cool. Um, just the, the magnitude of it, the sound, the speed. Uh, You know, as somebody who was a huge sports fan and and would go to football stadiums and be awed by the size of the football stadiums, seeing Rockingham, which obviously isn't even the biggest track, that was so cool. And then it was a great race where uh, Matt Kenseth barely beat Casey Kane to the line. It was Casey Kane's, I think, second cup race ever. It was his rookie year. And it was just awesome on a lot of levels. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I want to go to another NASCAR race sometime. So I think at that time, Darlington had two races a year, and and one was in March. So I went to the Darlington race, and then I went to Martinsville. I went to Richmond, uh, the Charlotte races. I just started going everywhere I could that was within driving distance of eastern North Carolina. Uh, I would go on my days off, and basically I'd say, listen, get me a credential. I will write for the paper. I'm not expecting payment. I'm not expecting travel to be paid for. I'm going to invest in myself, essentially. So I did that for two and a half years, I started a racing column that actually started getting syndicated because we were part of a chain. So when I started applying for jobs elsewhere, one newspaper I applied to was in Southern California and it turned out the sports editor had actually been reading my syndicated racing column that I'd been doing every week, even though I knew nothing about it. And um, so that was helped me get the next job. And I sort of moved up the chain from there. So that's how I got into it. And I just thought, you know, at the time, this is a really cool sport. I was totally taken with it, especially at the, it, was, it was the fastest growing sport back then. It was totally booming. Everything was going really well. And it just seemed like a really cool sport to get into and, and be part of. So I've enjoyed, uh, this is going to be my 11th full season on the road now. I started 2007 full-time NASCAR when I was at NASCAR Scene. So I've gone from NASCAR Scene Magazine to SB Nation to USA Today and now to here on the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast at com. So I hope to do at least one more podcast before Daytona starts. Um, I'm going to be here in New Mexico pretty much right up until Daytona. Then I'm going to fly back to Charlotte for a day. I'm going to unpack, do some laundry, repack, and start driving down to Daytona for speed weeks. It's pretty close now. As I record this, the Daytona 500 is only 20 days away. Again, on February 26th, which was not really mentioned very much in the daytona day commercial i'm sorry i'll get over it i'll get over it but i just can't let it go for now but before we go i want to give a shout out to a few people um who helped support this podcast I really appreciate it i want to start with somebody who challenged me to say his name uh so i'm going to try it it's tyson lautenschlager boom how about that tyson i think i said it right Matthew Bishop, Deborah Hunt, Julie Halverson. I'd like to thank all of you. Uh, Jeff Brown, Cindy and Pat Reppel, random NASCAR fan. He wants to go by his Twitter name. He's a really cool guy, random NASCAR fan. I also want to give a shout out to Karen Springer, Joseph Bates, and Dallas Sullivan. Thank you all very much. Um, This is in no particular order. If you uh, have been a patron of $10 or more, I owe you a shout out. Uh, they are coming in the podcast in future episodes. Don't worry if you haven't heard your name yet. Anyway, it's been really fun to talk to you guys. Um, thank you for listening for so long to my voice. I'm sorry if that got old. Hopefully it will be other people in the future. But until next time, it was nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast.